um, the upshot of what we spoke about yesterday in DPP was um, the idea of Atan Mayom. We're all standing here together. Moses says, you're all together. We're all in this together. We spoke about Jewish unity, the idea of how we're all compatible. We all complement each other and we all share the same core DNA. And this is also the blessing for the new year that we should, that we should stand up and confident and, and be, you know, merit a good judgment, but also that what elicits the blessing is our unity. We stand together in strength. United we stand, divided we, we fall. All right, so this brings us to the third reading, Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse number 15. And Moses says, regarding the covenant and our responsibility to keep our end of the deal. For you know, Moses says, how we dwelled in the land of Egypt and how we passed among the nations through which you passed. In other words, you've been around these last 40 years. You know that we were in Egypt and now we've come through these journeys, these travels over the last 40 years to these other nations, this wilderness. And you saw, Moses says, their abominations and their repugnant idols of wood and stone, silver and gold, which were with them. You saw all of the repugnant idolatry. Now perhaps, he says, there is, a, there is among you a man, woman, family, or tribe whose heart strays this day from the Lord our God to go and worship the deities of those nations. Moses is speaking to the entire nation assembled before him. And he's saying, you saw the abominations of those idols of the other nations, but perhaps in this crowd right now, there is someone, an individual or a family or a tribe whose heart strays from God and wishes to worship those false idols. Perhaps there is among you a root that produces hemlock and wormwood. Very poetic. Perhaps there is among you a root that produces hemlock and wormwood. What does that mean? Let's see. Rashi says, Um, regarding hemlock and wormwood, Rashi says this refers to a root that produces a bitter herb like giddin, which are bitter. Have you ever had giddin? You would know it because it was bitter. I'm kidding. I don't know what it is, but whatever that is, it's bitter. See Targum Yonatan. Okay. Here then the verse means someone who produces and increases evil among you. In other words, perhaps there is someone with a rebellious streak, someone who wants to turn away from God and worship the idols of other nations. Maybe there is a root. In other words, maybe there is one of you that is going to cause uh, a flourishing of negativity. You know what they say, a bad apple spoil. I'm sorry, I did the wrong thing there. By, I meant to shut Rashi up, but I shut the whole thing. Um, you know what they say about an apple, a bad apple ruins the bunch. Maybe there is a root that pr- will produce something negative, God forbid. And it will be in this th- hypothetical scenario when he, such a person, hears the words of this oath, this covenant, because Moses, in yesterday's reading, Moses said that everyone is here to accept upon themselves the covenant of faithfulness to God and God will be faithful to us when we are faithful to him. But it could be that there's a person amongst the assembled, says Moses, that has different thoughts in their heart. And it will be, he says in verse 18, when such a person, when that person hears the words of this oath that I am giving you, that he, that person, will bless himself in his heart saying, I will have peace even if I follow my heart's desires. I'm going to be okay. I'll do what I want and I'll be okay. Yeah, everyone's supposed to toe the line and follow the covenant and keep the oath and keep the promise and be faithful to God and God will be faithful to them, etc. But me, I'm going to go my own way. And you know what? I'll be okay. Shalom Yihieli. I will have peace. Following my heart's desires. If this verse sounds familiar, it is at the core of our conversation at Kabbalah and Coffee the last few months. This verse right here. A person will say, I'm okay. You guys do, you guys do whatever God wants. I'm going to do my own thing. And you know what? I'll be fine. I don't believe that it's going to be negative. I'll be fine. 
It's fine. In order to add the punishment for the unintentional sins of this man to that of his intentional sins, in other words, not all, no one's perfect, and everyone does unintentional sins, but this guy is saying, I'm going to do sins intentionally. Again, I want to reiterate this. There is no perfectly righteous person on the face of the earth that only does good and does not sin. Well, maybe with a few exceptions. But most people, the 99.99999% of people make mistakes. Unintentional, careless, whatever it is. We meant to do the right thing, moment of weakness, whatever. But it's a different level when somebody intentionally says, I'm going to break the rules and I'm going to get away with it. That's a different level. There's a moment of weakness. There are mistakes. There's, you know, there's crimes of passion and premeditated. And there's a difference. The law respects the difference between those two. A crime of passion in the heat of the moment, there's one penalty. A premeditated crime, that's much more severe. We're talking, Moses says, there might be one of you in that premeditated category who's listening and saying, Moses, you're so cute. Moses, you're so nice. I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to live a good life. And it'll be fine. You believe what you believe. I'll be okay doing what I want, intentionally turning away from the path. Says Moses, you know what the outcome of this is? Verse 19, the Lord will not be willing to forgive him. Rather than the Lord's fury and his zeal will fume against that man and the entire curse written in this book will rest upon him and the Lord will obliterate his name from beneath the heavens. You know what it means the entire curse written in this book will rest upon him? Which, which entire curse? I mean, if you were with us last week, you probably remember there were like 98 curses. So I'm pretty sure if we toggled Rashi, that Rashi would say uh, the entire curse. No, it's not even here. It's probably so obvious Rashi doesn't need to mention it. Um, yeah. It's not from the person where it's premeditated. Yeah, 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 exactly. This is referring to the one that says, I'm going to outsmart the system. I, I'm everyone else is gonna toe the line, whatever they're you know, keep their end of the deal, keep the bargain, keep the covenant, and and try to do their best. And no one's gonna be perfect, but at least they're gonna try me. Oh, I don't care. I don't care about the system. I don't care about this whole thing. I'm gonna do my own thing. We had this is like the, verse 18 was that phrase that we've been focusing on Kabbalah and coffee, and of course studying it from a deeper perspective of Kabbalah, but. You know, today it's, it's more of a straightforward way that we're studying it. But this idea of that's, that's the phrase. A person will bless himself in his heart. That means he'll be content, very satisfied, saying to himself, I'm okay. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I don't care. Come what may. I'm going to do what I want. So Moses says, look, you know me by now. I think you know me. I'm not a fire and brimstone type of guy. But Moses, on occasion, could be. Apparently, it looks like. And Moses was going a little bit uh, saying, all right, it may not be so great for this guy. This hypothetical. We don't know that this guy exists. He's saying, perhaps there is among you someone who's listening and internally laughing and saying, not for me. Okay. Moses says, all right, so just know that this might not end well. All right, and the Lord, here we go, verse 20, continuing the repercussion conversation. And the Lord will separate him for evil. In other words, separate from evil means will designate punishment specifically for that person or persons or family or tribe. Out of all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant written in in this Torah scroll, And again, I just want to see if Rashi comments on this. All the curses of the covenant written in this book um, are too long of a Rashi to scan quickly. All right, we're going to just collapse Rashi again. Sorry for getting everybody uh, 
looking up and down and scrolling back and forth. Okay, so basically God is going to designate specific um, consequences for this individual, etc. Listen to this. Oh, sorry, I need to mention this. Eventually, eventually, we all came to this place as a people, which is why the temple was destroyed. Are you with me on this? At some point, I can't say everybody, but enough Jewish people said, you know what? We don't care anymore. Like, we're just going to do our own thing. The first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians because of the three major cardinal sins of murder, idolatry, and immorality. Those are the three major sins that one is to give up their life rather than to transgress. And the Jews of that generation, again, not all, but enough, were doing those things. What's knowing. Um, it's Gilea Royce. It's basically immorality. You could say adultery, but it's more than adultery. It could be incest, whatever. Any illegal, immoral relationship. So the point is like this. That um, the, the, the temple was destroyed, the first temple, and, and the Jews were exiled because of their lack of adherence to the covenant. They weren't keeping their end of the deal. So God says... All right. Now, we, you can't punish unless you're warned. Where's the warning? The warning's right here. The warning's right here. And, the war, and we've had it throughout Deuteronomy. Moses says, you're going, to, you're going to go into the land of Israel. If you want to stay in Israel, you've got you to gotta keep focused. If you turn away from this stuff, then you're not going to be living in Israel uh, much, much after that. So, and, and that's actually what happened. So my point is, Moses says, maybe there's someone here who thinks that they're going to game the system and they can do whatever they want and, and there's no repercussions. Moses says, so I'm speaking to you. Let, I, let it be very clear here. There will be repercussions. And what I'm trying to say is that rather than point out to any specific person that collectively as a people, we drop the ball. And that's, and that's where we're here. And the goal is to pick up the ball to the best of our ability and at least not to be the one that's doing it intentionally, but you know we're, we're strugglers, and that's God appreciates the struggle. But someone who says, "I don't even care," that's already you know that's already a little bit more uh, more harsh. Getting back to this, and a later generation. Look at this verse twenty-one. And a later generation, your descendants, who will rise after you, along with the foreigner who comes from a distant land, will say, "Upon seeing the plagues that the land of the of the land." And the disease which with the Lord struck it. And let me just explain what's going on here. Moses is saying that if it goes sideways on your end, then there's going to be negative repercussions that are so severe that your children and foreigners are going to come and say after the fact, what in the world could they have done to, to, have, to have brought this about? Right? It's going to create astonishment. Upon seeing the plagues of that land and the disease with which the Lord struck it, in other words, Israel, in, in the exile of the Jews, later generations and the foreigner are going to be astonished. And they're going to say, Sulfur and salt have burned up this, its entire land. It cannot be sown, nor it can grow anything, nor can it grow anything, nor even, not even any grass will sprout upon it. It is like the overturning of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zboim, which the Lord overturned in His fury and in His rage. And all the nations will say, why did the Lord do so to this land? What is the reason for this great rage of fury? This is later generations who will see the exile, the destruction of Jerusalem, the temple, etc. And say, what, what happened here? What went wrong? They will say, then they will say, it is because they, the Jewish people, abandoned the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers. The covenant with which the covenant which he made with them when he took them out of the land of Egypt. For they went, you see how Moses is kind of like taught, warning the people about this? He's warning them not only about what's going to happen, but how bad it's going to be to the point that later generations and other nations are going to say, I can't believe this actually happened. That's how terrible it's going to be. 
And the conclusion will be, it's because they went and served other deities, prostrating themselves to them, deities which they had not known, and which he had not apportioned to them. And the Lord's fury, this is going to be the conclusion of those later generations and other nations. They're going to say that the Jews abandoned God or, or turned away from God, and so that's what happened. And the Lord's uh, fury raged against the land, bringing upon it the, the entire curse written in this book. And the Lord uprooted from, uh, them from their land with fury, anger, and great wrath. And he cast them to another land as it is this day. This refers to the exile, right? Being uprooted from the land and cast to another land refers to the exile, diaspora. Any other land other than Israel. This refers, yeah, this refers to Galus, Galut, exile, where the Jews have been living in Israel under Jewish sovereignty, and at a certain point in time, that's it. Invading nation comes in, the Babylonians first, then the Romans come in, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, take the Jewish people out by, with chains and take them captive and exile them, scatter them around the lands. And Moses is saying before his death, he's saying, my friends, this will, God forbid, happen if you turn away from where you need to be. Now, there is, this may sound, I mean, it does sound, not may, it sounds very dark. And it is, we're at a dark space right now in the narrative. But tomorrow, and I hate pushing it up for tomorrow, but it is tomorrow's reading, we, it start, the narrative starts turning. And Moses says that from the place of devastation, from the place of exile, you, the Jewish people, will come back to God. In other words, feeling the pain of separation, that itself is going to stir the desire to come back, to return, call that teshuva, whatever it is, and, and from that, God will accept you, and, you know, and, and, and everything will be okay. That's the idea of redemption. But right now, he's in that first stage, I don't know if it's the first stage, but in that stage of exile, where if we and, and, you know, it makes it sound like God gets very angry and ticked off and that sort of thing. And, like, we're very scared of God. And that's really not necessarily the way we understand it. It's certainly not the way Chabad understands it. It's more along the lines of consequence. When you take an appliance, a refrigerator. Oh, one second. Joy, did you lose power yesterday? In the afternoon? Yes? Yes. Yes. Like 5 o'clock-ish or whatever it was? The evening? I don't even know because I didn't realize I had lost power until I came in all the clocks that needed resetting. Got it, got it, got it. So there was a transformer that blew because a branch... Oh, on, on, on Frederica. On Frederica, exactly. Right by the library, right by the, where the old Chabad was. So on that street near the Bank of America in the library, kind of in the middle of that block, a branch came down pulled down a, uh, a electric, electric wire and it blew the transformer and then it reset and then it blew it again and there was a fire in the transformer. We went out, um, I got home shortly after that whole thing happened, but we saw the trucks and the, the fire department and we walked out and went up with the kids to check out the situation. Um, and some guy had video of it, like the fire, it was like this weird looking fire in the transformer box. And I know I had a point here and I'm, try I'm struggling what the point was. What's the point? Hold on, the power went out. Oh yeah, the power went out. So what happens when the power goes out? So yeah, all your stuff, the HVAC, the refrigerator, you know, heating, if there's heating, you know, this, your, your, your appliances and other things don't work. So let's talk about another scenario. Let's say you have a refrigerator and it's plugged into the wall and it's freezing your frozen items and chilling your chilled items and then you unplug it from the wall. What happens? stops working. And yeah, it's going to stay cold for a little bit, but soon, 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 it gets warmer and warmer. And the next thing you know, all your stuff is melted, right? All your kosher chal ice cream is now melted in a puddle in your freezer. And now that's no good. What are you going to do with that now? Right? And your chicken and your meat or whatever you have in your refrigerator, in your freezer, is no good. And your milk spoils and this, that, and, and, and you know, all that stuff happens. 
So is that a punishment? Is the refrigerator punishing? Oh, you, I like being plugged in. You unplug me, I'm going to punish you. It's not a punishment. It's a consequence. If, you're not plug, if it's not plugged in, if the electricity isn't flowing, it's not working. At least it's not working the way it ought to be. So you can say, I want to be a refrigerator that's free of any plugs. I want to be a wireless refrigerator. You want to go wireless? Knock yourself out. But you should know it's going to come at a cost. And what's the cost? You ain't going to cool things down because that technology doesn't yet exist. Now, I know that if you're listening to this class in about 20 years from now, you're probably like, ha, 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 he was joking about wireless electricity. We have that now. Sure, I know the technology is being worked on now and it's going to happen at some point. So I know this is a dated analogy, but it's what we got in 2021. Here's the point. The point is, uh, by, by 2041, by the way, whoever's listening to this class is not even like listening on a device, on a service like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube or whatever. That person is just enjoying the chip in their brain or the equivalent or something like that. But back to the point. Unplugging does not punish you. Like the act of unplugging the refrigerator from the wall does not trigger a punishment of spoiling the food. It's not a punishment, it's a consequence. And so there's two ways to read any time we talk about reward and consequence or punishment in the Torah, there's two ways to read it. Either the simple way, which it sounds like, Oh, God's going to get you. He's going to punish you. He's going to get angry at you. And he's going to send you out of the land. And he's going to destroy you. And people are going to people are going to be so shocked at how bad it got. That's how bad it's going to get. People will have their mouths open and aghast at, as to how bad it got. That's the punishment paradigm. But we know that the commentaries and the philosophers and the mystics and the Chabad Rebbe's had a different take. Less punishment, more natural consequence. When you unplug from the source, then you are unplugged from the source. That's it. And there's a vulnerability that happens. Using the language of Rashi. Imagine, let me stop sharing for a moment to share this analogy. Imagine there's a dad walking with his kid. And they're walking through dangerous territory. Why is it dangerous? I don't know. Come up with your own danger. Snakes, um, poison ivy, uh, robbers. I don't know. Whatever the danger is. A but bear. A bear. Ooh. So the dads have. I have been there, done that. Man, that bear story. I love. I love only because it has a happy ending. Back to the story. So imagine the dad knows the danger, puts the kid on the shoulders. The dad can fend off the danger. Let's assume that. The dad has the kung fu know-how to fend off the danger, whether it's this, that, or the other. Um, wearing the right clothing to fend off the poison ivy or we're having the right uh, you know, thing to scare off the bear, the spray, whatever it is. The dad is equipped, the son is not, puts the son on his shoulders. And they start walking. It's still treacherous. The dad is protecting the child. The child turns to the dad and says, Dad, I don't want to be on your shoulders anymore. Dad's like, not a good idea. I don't want to be on your shoulders. Not a good idea. Now, obviously, a good dad would not let that happen, would keep the kid whatever way possible on top of the shoulders to protect them. But what if the child was able to somehow, right, dismount and run on their own? They would be vulnerable. Is it a punishment? It's not a punishment. It's the natural vulnerability. God forbid. I mean, I don't even want to end the story in a negative way, but I'm just saying the vulnerability is created not by, not by the father's punishment. There's a natural vulnerability, natural danger. The father is protecting. You unplug or you dismount or you disconnect from the safety net. The danger is there. And the same thing is true with us, with the Jewish people, as we know the Talmud says that we are like a sheep among 70 wolves. And the only way the sheep survives is not out of the kindness of the wolf or the wolves. It's not like the 70 wolves, 70 wolves were these 70, 70 nations. It's not like the wolves say, you know what, hey, we could befriend the sheep. You know, let's put our arms around each other, kumbaya, create a, make a bonfire, strum some guitar, and like, and call it a day. That's not what happens. The wolf 
the sheep only survives among the 70 wolves because of the shepherd who keeps it safe. If the sheep were to say to the shepherd, you know what? I'm friends with the wolves. I don't need you anymore. That sheep is going on a suicide mission. And the same thing is true as the, as the commentators explained with, with regard to us. It's not like God is punishing us for turning, oh, you disrespected me. You, you disrespected my covenant. You didn't listen to me. That's it. I'm taking revenge. I hope you don't believe in that type of God, even if it seems like that from the verses. And I know what it looks like. I, read the, I, I literally read the verses to you. I read them out loud. But I also know what 3,300 years of Jewish scholarship has, I don't know all of it, but I know enough of it to tell you the way it's understood. And it's not that God is punishing. God doesn't get angry. Maimonides says, even philosophy, Jewish philosophy says the same thing. It's not just Kabbalah or Hasidic spin, modern day, you know, 20, you know 20, 21st century spin. This is Maimonides who says, God does not have feelings like a human being. God does not have emotional reactions like you. When the Torah says that God gets angry or will get angry, it means that the action that's going to happen will be one that a human being will do when they're in a state of anger, but not that God feels the emotion. And that's an important distinction. So, here's the short point of this. That galus, exile, galut, is a natural consequence of disconnection. What's the result of disconnection? Sorry, what's the result of disconnecting? Disconnection. That's what it is. If you pull out, you're out. If you separate from the pack, you separate it from the pack. So essentially, it's a, the person opting out or the community opting out, and then you're just opted out. That's the way it is. Anyway, it's like that class action lawsuit for AT&T Mobile or whatever it was, or those, any one of those that goes around. You know that you get those emails, you want to opt in or opt out? And you're like, I don't know if it's worth my time because it's going to be 50 cents anyway after all the lawyers get their fees. So sure, I'll opt out. But you're out, you're out. You're in, you're in, you're out, you're out. And so Moses is saying, don't opt out. Less because God's retribution, more because the reality of nature. Natural consequence, natural reaction of pulling out is that you're out. Don't pull out. Don't opt out. Don't disconnect. Don't unplug. It's not good. It's not a good thing. Stay in, stay plugged in, stay focused. And the truth is, we all know this on an individual level, right? It's like in a relationship. Yeah, you say something not nice, you do something not nice, or you're not so attentive to the other person. And so now, like, you're in the doghouse, so to speak, or whatever that means. But you're like, you're, you're out. There's no, it's not a punishment. It's you're either in or you're out. And it's, 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 just, it's where you are. It's not, about, it's not even about the other person. It's where are you? Are you locked in or are you somewhere else? Are you in or are you out? And it's not a one-time question. It's a moment by moment, every day, multiple times a day. In this moment, were you present? Were you there for the other person? Are you connecting with the other person or is your attention elsewhere? That's the question. Is it a punishment if when you pull out that the relationship is now a little bit icier? Is that a punishment? No punishment. It's the natural consequence of disconnecting. Being distant in a relationship creates distance. That's, that's the nature of the game. Unplugging the refrigerator ceases to supply the electricity. And I don't know the, how it works exactly, but I'm going to say the word compressor. It's because that feels like that would be the right word to use in this context. Do refrigerators have compressors? Am I, am I right here? Yes, sure they do at this point, right? So compressor stops working and it stops cooling and now it's just gonna take over. So what's, and now you have to find flashlights also, which we, we were scrambling yesterday at five o'clock when it was still light outside. Let's find the flashlights. And I don't know if, you're, if, I don't know if your fat family or household is like mine, but like we have a lot of flashlights that don't work. Is this you also? Is this you? I need flashlights twice a year. Or in two, in only two times any flashlights in my life. You ready? Number one, I, I'm, I'm, I don't go camping on a regular basis, so hear me out here. Number one, send kids to camp. They, they need a flashlight, it's on the packing list. I need a flashlight now. Now, oh, where are the flashlights? Number two, power outage. I need the flashlights. I know candles, sure, we got some of those, but flashlights are a little bit more efficient. Boom, carry it around. No wax dripping, no, no, you know, no going out when you're walking. And inevitably, I'm just going on a flashlight. Listen, 
telling, telling you my story. This is my truth that happened yesterday. So we, we try the flashlights. There's like four of them. Like one works. I'm like, oh, great. But we got batteries. It's not a problem. We, got, we know how to change batteries. Easy peasy. Open up, pop them in. And then they don't work. You know why? You know why. What happens when you have old batteries in, in, in flashlights? Right? What happens? Corrode. They corrode. Yeah, it's now corroded. And it's now like there's a gunk on it. Didn't explode. Don't worry. It's okay. But just like a little powdery and now it doesn't work. And I was like, whatever. Now I'm like, okay, Georgia Power, you got to deliver, bro. You said 7 o'clock, 7.15 p.m. And it worked. Thank God we don't. And now you know where the flashlights are? Back in storage to keep on corroding. And I know the moral of the story. Take out the batteries in between usages. I know it. I get it. Still don't remember to do it. Back to the story. You disconnect, you disconnect. You let the batteries corrode, I'm gonna work this in. Don't worry, I didn't intend to. I intended to be a tangent, I'm working it in. You let the batteries corrode, the batteries corrode. And you know what, the flashlight's not gonna work. Is it a punishment? It's not a punishment, it's a consequence. You neglected the batteries. You neglected the relationship. You neglected to take care, to cultivate, to, to take care and nurture that situation. And what happens? You wake up one day, it's not working. Why is it not working? It's their fault. It's a flashlight's fault. It's not the flashlight's fault. I need to own it. I need to own it. I wake up one day, no longer in Israel. Here we are, right? Almost 2,000 years later, here we are. Not in our homeland. Yes, I know we can move to Israel, but it's not the same. There's no temple. There's no, right? And, and, that's, and, and we're not where we need to be. And I can blame everyone else. The question is, what am I doing today to, to bring redemption? What am I doing today to make the world a better place, to, to improve myself. Not in a way of fire and brimstone, not in a way of harshness, but in a way of, 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 uh, of self-awareness and self-analysis. Donna, I saw you had something. Don't yeah, forget. I've had multiple things. I mean, it makes me think of um, your Torah study session last week. You said the reason we should go back to Egypt, so we put ourselves back and humble ourselves and then want to recommit. Yeah. And... And then I'm thinking, Moses must be a little unhappy. I mean, the, on his last days, if he's trying to plan for our people's future, but in the back of his mind, he knows it could be tumultuous. Can you imagine? He knew, he knew, I, I believe he knew without a doubt that this was going to happen. In other words, he saw, however he saw, I mean, he was a prophet. I'm sure he could see the future and spiritually, but even, even if not, even if you don't want to go to mystical ways, just knowing the people and knowing how difficult it's going to be for the long haul there's no way he didn't see it and he i mean he says it so i mean he's he's literally calling it now not calling it in a like i'm hoping this happens obviously not god forbid or i told you so way but more of like yeah it's you 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 can only imagine the mixed feelings that are going through him yeah i i would i would agree with that i mean there's i, I can't even imagine all of that. And by the way, what I said last week about going back to Egypt and then returning is based on the reading tomorrow. It's based on tomorrow's reading. And the idea is that from the place of disconnection, like waking up one day and realizing, oh, I don't actually like where I am. Jewishly, globally, personally, in a relationship with God, relationship with the other person, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm in a good place now. And, and that hurts. What am I going to do about it? That's the catalyst for change. The catalyst for change is feeling the pain. And so that's really the next step of the narrative. It, and that's a good thing. That's where the narrative has a positive upturn, at least the positive from the negative, which is, okay, so the consequences of disconnection were disconnection. But then you kept on going because the premise of this is the person that says, I don't care. I'm going to live my life, do my thing. I don't care about what, whatever may happen. I'm okay. I'll be good. But eventually it catches up. And when it catches up and it starts hurting a little bit, you realize like, I had fun, but where am I in this, in this relationship? Again, whatever relationship. Yeah, Moses is speaking about our relationship with God. Sure. But, but if, we want to, if we want to make it easier to understand, think about any relationship. Think about a human relationship. Sure, I had fun. I had fun. I did whatever I wanted. I don't care what happens. Sure. Great. Live in the moment. But, some, but one day you may realize that that relationship is not the way it once was. And, and that might hurt. 
And when it hurts, the key is to channel the pain into positive action. And that's where tomorrow comes in. Tomorrow's conversation is how do we channel the pain of the separation, of the disconnection, into a catalyst for reconnection and not only getting back to where it was before, but even in a more passionate way than before. That's the ideal, the ideal of tshuva. Tshuva, ideally, is not just getting returning where you, to where you were. Like, I backslid. I have a rolling chair, which is good for this. And now I'm back. But no, I'm back better than I was before. Because the disconnection has fueled this fire that I never even had before. That's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to get even, to an even greater place. All right, but that upswing is all tomorrow. Today, it's still in the downturn. It's still in the, the returning to Egypt place or whatever you want to call it. All right, let me sh share my screen. And I move to the next reading um, just uh, myself to look at a verse over there. Okay, and that, that takes us to the last verse because we did the second to last verse. The penultimate verse. Penultimate means second to last, right? Yes? Penultimate, yeah. Yeah. I love that word. Okay. 28. 28. Hanistari. No, what's crazy is divine providence. Crazy good. Divine providence, DP. It's like when things kind of work out and like, whoa, I can't believe it worked out. I taught a class two hours ago, an Aldi class called You Be the Judge. It's about Jewish law and uh, Jewish civil law and comparative law, etc. We've done a few courses of that over the years. This was the first JLI class that I taught upon moving to Atlanta years ago. I have never retaught it until right now. Um, yeah, and we just we had a four-part session. I can, we concluded today, and literally, the, one of the major ideas was based on this verse that concludes our reading today. But understood from a different perspective, but it's just interesting how things happen. The hidden things, I keep on doing that, the hidden things belong to the Lord. Moses concludes, not concludes, but Moses wraps up today's reading with the hidden things belong to the Lord, our God, but the revealed things apply to us and to our children forever, that we must fulfill all the words of this Torah. What does that mean? What does it mean? Hidden things are God's, revealed things are ours, that we must fulfill all the words of Torah. What does that mean? I'll, I'll give, there are multiple explanations. One explanation is, how we'll feel inside, God knows. But you know what matters? It matters what's revealed. What do we do? What do we say? What do we think on the outside? Like, practically speaking, thought, speech, and action, that is what's most paramount, and that is staying true to Torah. So if you feel conflicted inside, you feel like you don't want to wake up this morning and pray to God and do a mitzvah, okay. But that's in the hidden recess of your heart. Bottom line is, we live in a world of action. What are you going to do? And if you do the right thing, you're plugged in. So here, Moses, in this last verse, according to one reading, one understanding of this, Moses is defining what it means to be plugged in. To be plugged in means, on the most practical of levels, plugging in. If you're plugged in, in action, but in mind and heart you're confused, be confused, as long as you're plugged in. Right? If the, if the refrigerator is not sure if it wants to be plugged in or not, but it's plugged in, it's still cooling the food. You're still okay. Bottom line is the bottom line. Bottom line is action. So as long as we're doing it, we're doing it. If we're not sure if we want to do it, all right. So that's, that's, uh, that's where therapy comes in. But the bottom line, I'm kidding, but that's like, okay, that's inner work. But the bottom line is do it in action. So that's verse 28. Um, that's one understanding. There are other understandings. Another way to understand this is, that um, when we judge other, other people, we can't know what, what lies in their heart. All we know is what, what we see, but that's not always the true story, so it's, we, we shouldn't judge others. Another way of understanding this, which I explained this morning in my legal class, is when it comes to court, to the court system, to the judge, judges in a, in a court, in a Jewish court, you can only act on what you know. You won't know the whole truth. The hidden things belong to the Lord. You will never know, as a judge, you will never know the motive. You will only think that you know the motive. You can never know what a person was thinking going into a certain action. You'll never know 100% you know, what exact, exactly what happened. But you have to go by what is revealed to us and adjudicate appropriately. Let's see if Rashi has 
some insight on this in his inimitable way. Here we go. Here we go. Rashi says, there's a long Rashi. We'll do this and we'll close it out. The hidden things belong to the Lord our God. Now, you might object to God saying, but what can we do? You'll punish the entire community because of the sinful thoughts of one individual. As scripture says, perhaps there's a man. Right. Remember how Moses says, maybe there's one of you who wants to do their own thing. And so now everyone's thinking, oh no, what if there's somebody amongst us that has these stray thoughts and it's going to end up with total destruction and devastation for the entire Jewish community, exile for all of us, to the point that nations later on in history will say, whoa, those guys really messed up. That's really bad. That, that devastation because of one guy in his mind? Right, Because after the scripture continues seeing the plagues of that land, the disease which the Lord struck it, which seemed to indicate that for the sinful thought of even one individual, the whole land could be struck down with plagues and diseases. But surely no man can know the secret thought of his fellow that we could somehow prevent this collective punishment. So what are we supposed to do? If one person has a negative thought or, or a, um, a thought of disconnection or thought of, of opting out, then we're all doomed? That doesn't sound fair. So in answer to this, God says, or Moses says, speaking for God, I will not punish you for the hidden things, i.e. because the hidden things belong to the Lord our God, and He will exact punishment upon that particular individual who sins in secret. However, the revealed things apply to us and our children. That is, we are responsible for detecting the sins committed openly in our community. So what does it mean to clean up our act collectively? It means the open revealed things, the things that we're all aware of and things that we're all living with. The fact that somebody individually is, is, is this way or that way, that's on them, and that's a specific individual consequence, but not a collective consequence. The collective consequence happens for those collective open issues within a community. Um, we are responsible for detecting the sins committed openly in our community and to eradicate any evil among us that is open. And if we do not execute judgment upon these open transgressions over which we do have control, then the whole community will be punished because they would be remiss in their responsibility. Now, there is a dot placed over each letter of the words for us and our children to teach us homiletically that even for open sins, which were not brought to judgment, God did not punish the whole community until Israel crossed the Jordan. For then they accepted upon themselves the oath at Mount Grisman and Mount Abel. Those are the two mountains where six tribes went on one and the other, and they had the curses and the blessings declared, and thereby they formally became responsible for one another, as the Talmud in Sanhedrin says, 43b. When dots are placed over the letters of the Torah, this denotes an exclusion of some sort. And in our context, the rabbis teach us that the exclusion first appeared prior to the crossing of the Jordan, which, to be honest, wasn't that long from where they were at that point, at the end of the 40 years, right by Moses' passing. Um, just to explain what's going on, if you look at the words lanu ulovanenu in the Hebrew, if you look very closely, and I can help you look very closely, and how am I going to help? I'm going to help by making this Nope. Can I make this bigger? How do I make this bigger? Ah, ooh, wow. Look, technology. Okay, I'm going to make this bigger. Nope, yeah. If you look, okay, there's a lot of dots and stuff, but I'll tell you which are the interesting dots. Lanu, this word right here that I just highlighted in blue, there are three dots. One, two, three over each of the letters. And the next word, uluvanenu. Also, in the Torah, has, has dots over every letter. Not every, usually the dots mean like a, a vowel sign that, that is the O sound. But, um, I can't get that blue off, which is annoying. Um, okay, now it's off. So anyway, this has dots, which indicates some sort of limitation to, the, to what it says. And Rashi says the limitation is that the punishment that's going to happen for collective sin only happens once the Jews cross the Jordan and accept it upon themselves at those two mountain ranges, the blessings and the curses. Be, it, be that as it may, my takeaway from today, you could have your own takeaway certainly, but my takeaway from today is the following. Second. My takeaway from today is this idea of, of, um, of consequence and responsibility, and how our job is to stay plugged in. Our job is to stay plugged in to truth and justice and the Jewish way. That's it. And everything else, okay, everything else is commentary. We stay plugged in to the best of our ability, and uh, we're not going to be perfect. We know that going into it, but we do our best. And as we do our best, 
you recognize that the option of saying, well, I don't care what happens and, you know, whatever, it's not really, it's not really within our, um, it's, not, it's not in our best interest. Not because of punishment, but because of straight up consequence. Unplugging is unplugging. And this can be a reminder for all of our relationships, not only our spiritual relationship with God, but all of our relationships, that it's those everyday little efforts, those everyday words and sentiments that are shared and, 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 and care between two people that builds a relationship. And when we neglect that, we do so at our own peril. Say, so, yeah, uh, who needs it? I don't care. Okay, all right. But then, then, then there's going to be a divide, a, a wedge that happens. So let's recommit to our relationships. Let's recommit to our divine relationship. And as we get ready for Rosh Hashanah, you will please God um, stand on Rosh Hashanah knowing that we are at least feeling close with God and close with our loved ones and our community as well. All right, that's it for today. Any questions or comments before we close out? I have a comment, but it's not related to the partial. Sure. Um, yeah, but half of mine aren't either, and that's fine. I'm kidding. <laughs> and so I kept hearing the word disconnect and unplug. Yes. yes. Well, my big freezer is now kaput. Yes. Oh, and I'm sorry. I can't. And and the only way you can get one, they're back ordered for October the twelfth. Well, I need it. Now. You need it for Yamtiv. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's not flexible, right? Wow. Anyway. Yeah, Tishrei, especially now with the chicken shortage, the great chicken yes. shortage. You guys know about the great chicken shortage? Yes. It's a whole thing. Oh, yeah. It's a whole thing. Yeah. I, everyone's, I mean, everyone in the community is, is, is crying foul for this. <laughs> no, no, there is, but it's not going to make it to the end of the holidays. They're, they can't, they can't, they can't um, supply more chicken maybe meat also, until the end of Tishrei, to the end of the holiday season. Because most of the month you cannot, um, are, are non-work days for the slaughterhouses. So to produce fresh meat. Because you have holidays in the middle of the week, and yeah. then you have weekends and Shabbat, and you have like maybe five or six work days for the entire month of Tishrei. So by the end of, by Sukkot, they're predicting there's not going to be any any no. chicken in, in Atlanta. So but everyone. That's the only thing. There's a lot of empty shells if you notice the Kroger. Yes. Of... Yes. Chicken and everything. I don't know. I don't know. I remember beginning of this pandemic situation. There was like run on toilet paper, but you could get kosher oh, milk. Yes. Like the milk was fine. The toilet paper was out. Now you can get the toilet paper, but you can't get the milk. All right. I don't know. Whatever. It's, uh... I just have another little story, a highlight. So at JFK, as we were uh, flying back to Atlanta, at security, there was a group of uh, Orthodox men going to Israel. And uh, they had the Torah scroll without the scroll. So it was just, you know, just, uh, how would you say? The, the two poles. Oh, just the poles. Yeah, but like to go through security, so, you know, you were like explaining oh, so to the TSA right. that what it is. Easy, what... super easy. Just say we're old school jousters. This is how they used to joust back in the day with wooden poles before they got, you know, the fencing thing worked out. Yeah, so I don't That's know if funny. they had to scroll like separately or they were going to write it, you know, in Israel. Who knows? Who knows? That's interesting, though. But did you see in JFK the stand with Tefillin with the Rebbe's picture on it? With the Rebbe's picture on it? I'm telling. I saw this. I have a picture on my phone. There is in one of the terminals in JFK, in middle of the airport. There is a stand, a Tefillin stand, run by a rabbi or two. It's got a big picture of the Rebbe on it. This is like in JFK airport, and you come over there. They wrap Tefillin. It's on, and they're busy 24/7. It's on. Believable. Wow. So Unbelievable. Not, but it was nice in a Cron Heights that, you know, every store, every place has a different um, portrait of the Rebbe. And um, then it's everywhere. 
Yeah. And when you were in Israel or in Atlanta, sometimes I'm like, oh, Baltimore. Oh, this is a Rabat, you know, not store, but like the owners. Right. Know, right. Know. Yeah. I will tell you one more thing that I saw on that COL Live website. Yeah. Um, that there was, by the way, there's a few food distribution now going on today in Crown Heights. You should know the chesed and the generosity that goes on in Crown Heights and also other Jewish communities, but I'm just looking at Crown Heights news, is unbelievable. Um, two Crown Heights restaurants on the essentials list. New York Jewish Week asked emerging leaders that they named uh, blah, blah, for 50 essential local restaurants and attractions. Two restaurants in Crown Heights were recommended, and they are the following, not the ones that you went to, Century. One is called um, Izzy's Barbecue Smokehouse, and the other one is mozzarella. One is meat. The smokehouse is meat. Izzy's Smokehouse, and mozzarella is a dairy place. So my point to mention this is that's on tap for the next trip. We got to hit the smokehouse, Izzy's Smokehouse, and mozzarella. Good. Good. We have the itinerary already building out for next time. All right, my friends. That's it for today. It's good to see you guys. Tonight, don't forget, tonight is 60 days. If you're signed up for it, great. If you're not yet signed up for it, jump in on it. You'll get the recordings from week one. Come for week two. It is amazing. Includes a meditation, live meditation with Mrs. Freeman, Nomi Freeman, who is a wonderful teacher. So join us if you can. 60 days. Tonight, session two. 8 p.m. at Intown Jewish Academy on Ponce, Leon Place. If I may say, and I don't know if she's against it or, you know, but she has a very soft uh, voice, which is nice, but also very low. Yes. And I think last time with the AC, oh. it was hard to blacken me. So right, I right. I have a problem uh, hearing. But I don't know if you can have a little microphone. Is it- Let me see what we can. I'm gonna see what we can do. I'm gonna see what we can do. Yeah. Okay. That's a good. That's a good suggestion. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see if we can tweak that, or maybe I'll just shut down the AC or crank it up beforehand and then keep it off so that we can hear her. Um, and then what else? Tomorrow night we have uh, session one of our boot camp, high holiday boot camp, which is. Also Torah studies, but as the Torah studies kind of changes from the Torah portion um, exploration into holiday exploration, so we rebrand it as Holiday Boot Camp. So that's tomorrow night, seven thirty, and then we're rapidly approaching Yom Tif, the holiday. And as a quick reminder, learner service, both days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, ten to eleven thirty outside at the back of the building on the Beltline. So join us. Safe and distant seating. We have canopies also for the sun, all that good stuff. Join us. It's going to be a meaningful experience. All right. We'll see you all. Have a wonderful day. Thank you you so much, Robert. Pleasure. Sarah, great to see you. Sandrine and Donna and Ray, lots of blessings. And Ray, good luck with the freezer. Good luck with the freezer. Yeah, thanks. All right. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you.